Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Willa Rowe. And I'm your other host, Robin B. And uh, together, we are here to present the second annual Girl Mode Awards, also known as the Girlies. We've rented out the Peacock Theater and (laughs) filled it full of unmasked celebrities. Uh, It's going to be a great time for all. So yeah, obviously for like anybody who started listening to this year, I mean this is pretty self-explanatory. This is our <laughs> yeah. this is our end of year awards. Um don't expect any rhyme or reason to a lot of this. Uh just yes. like the regular game awards, um a lot of things mean nothing. Yeah, this this the yeah, the girlies were started I think largely in response to the game awards being so bad last year, which was a uh, I guess very prescient of us because they've gotten so much worse this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the girlies have become more necessary than ever. <laughs> We're the hero that the games industry needs. Yeah, people are always saying this. I think so. Um, I um, want to point out that we are, even though this is an audio medium, um, you and I are on a video call. So we decided mm-hmm. that we would get dressed up. Yeah. Um, in the spirit of the awards, I, I am in. We don't want Kotaku writing any mean <laughs> articles about us, so we decided to yeah. put on our Sunday best. Famously, you know, editor-in-chief of Kotaku, Jen Glennon, massive asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they ran the, they run like the, you know, Game Awards. I know. Nobody knows know. how to dress at the Game Awards pieces from Alyssa. I know. Alyssa does do that, and they are pretty good. Uh, but we did Jen decide to dress definitely up. definitely dunk on us if given the chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we decided to dress up. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm wearing a button up and a tie and a sweater because I wanted to be warm. Mm-hmm. And I'm also wearing something nice. Yeah, Robin looks great. Uh, <laughs> I'm wearing a. I'm going to just do my joke again because I did it twice and you haven't laughed at it. Uh, you're wearing a tie. I'm wearing a choker, which is the queer equivalent of a tie. Okay, but like, I'm a lesbian wearing a tie. That's pretty queer. That's true. It's still queer. <laughs> Mine's both... just more explicit. Yeah. The tie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't laugh at my jokes. Whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what that joke is supposed to be. <laughs> my joke is that it's more common to see gay people with a, with a choker. Oh, yeah, you're right. It, it really is. Yeah. Degenerate. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Speaking of degeneracy, uh, do we want to do we want to get this show on the road? Yeah, let's do it. I think maybe a good place to start. The first one that's on my dock anyway is a category that you added for this year, which is the character that made you act most like a deviant on the internet. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think just cutting right to it. There's no way around it. For me, the answer is Kafka from Honkai Star Rail. Mm-hmm. We all knew this was coming. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew that it was coming, I think, even more than listeners did, because as much as you thirsted after Kafka in public, yeah, the things that you have s- said to me in private about Kafka <laughs> are so much... <laughs> There's just so much more to get into there. Yeah, I will say there was a really close... Um, second choice mm-hmm. for this which was i was curious our, who would actually win 
It was going to be the other option was Arlecchino from Genshin Impact, who I also very openly thirsted over to the point that Zoe told me at one point that um, she wanted to stop seeing pictures of that anime girl on her Twitter timeline because I was Uh liking so much stuff that it would show up. So really, Hoyaverse just stays winning with really hot women. That's true. Stay tuned for more on that later, probably. Um, (laughs) And yeah, my my winner for this year was Carlac, which I mean, we as we discussed a little before, I'm I'm a little more buttoned up on Twitter than you are, mainly because I don't post as much. Um, But if we're counting our Discord conversations as the Internet, I certainly uh, expressed a lot of deviant opinions about Carlac over the course of the year to you. Yeah, what you usually do is you'll, if you want to tweet something that's like horny or deranged, you use the girl mode account. Because then I think people... (laughs) That's true. Because then people, I think, will assume that it's from me. (laughs) Yes, that's that's true. That Mm -hmm. that is part of the calculation. I have plausible deniability. (laughs) I will say that I feel like uh, this. there's a quick connection to another category, at least Mm -hmm. for me, which is a new category for this year at the Girlies, which is best fanfic, Mm -hmm. uh, which I just read so much fanfic all the time. And um, it will surprise nobody that... So I've read so much fanfic across so many fandoms this year, but for me, it had to be a Kafka and Himiko fanfic from Honkai Star Rail because they're just so... Oh my god, they're, they're so great. There's so much trauma and yearning and angst. Uh, you'll love to see it. So I had to pick um, one of my favorite fanfics this year. Well, my my favorite fanfic this year is a fanfic called De Capo Al Fine from O Meadows on AO3. This is a really great... This is a 16-chapter um, fanfic about Kafka and Himiko so far. It's so good. Uh, yeah, so where you went for... Uh probably unspeakably horny fanfic uh how dare you i could have gone way more unspeakable that's that's probably true there was there's actually um if anybody does read kafka himiko fanfic there's one specific fanfic that i could have chosen and um it's much more (laughs) okay deranged i guess my my point is just that i went for the other the sort of cozy gay end of the spectrum um a couple, maybe about a month ago, we finally played through the Eden raids together in Final Fantasy fourteen, and obviously, I got obsessed with uh, Gaia and Reen. Um, so I just read lots of like very sweet, yeah, just fic of them like having crushes on each other and like you know holding hands <laughs> and otherwise being wholesome. So I'm going to point out one. There's like a like sort of a series of them by a writer named Rayla Moonshadow, which is a great Final Fantasy character name. Uh, there's a like, there's like two parts of it. It's called Eden's devote, Eden's devotion put together, and it's just them like being cute and kind of oblivious about their crushes on each other. It's very fun. Um, yeah, so that's my nominee. I'm very happy that we finally got you to finish the Eden series because I've been in love with these two forever. Yeah. Um, and now I can finally just send you all the cute fan art of them, and you get it yeah. now. I've seen so much fan art and like you have talked about them a bunch about how they're just this like, you know, cute little lesbian couple. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's just 
fandom deciding that like like we often do and then i got to the part of the raid where there's literally like a scene of them like sitting together on like the bank of the river and there's just a giant rainbow colored crystal behind them and i was like ah okay i see it's a little more explicit than i was expecting i've talked to you about this the things that i the thing that i really love is that the eden series is heavily influenced by final fantasy 8 yes which is one of the most overtly romantic final fantasy games it is a love Mm -hmm. story and the ending of the eden series shot for shot remakes the end of final fantasy 8 where squall and renoa like reunite and it recreates that exactly for rin and gaia and it's just like it's so beautiful and they are so in love yeah it's great i love them Mm -hmm. you're the next Um, category am i yeah, because I did. Is that how we do this? Do we go back and forth? I think we go back and forth. I mean, moving on from that, do we want to go to the, uh, the one of our fan suggested categories of the queerest game of the year? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Cool. What's your I what's yours? So we kind of decided to combine a category, though, because we had oh, two yes. fans. We had two fan suggestions, which was one was for the queerest game of the year and one was for the most trans game of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to combine them because I think there's an obvious answer here, which is that it's Armored Core 6. <laughs> yeah. The only game this year where you get to be called a good dog. Oh, my God. <laughs> I will point out that in Honkai Star Rail, um, I saw some hilarious screenshots where, because you get to name your player character, and uh-huh. somebody made their player character's name Puppy. Ugh, I need to restart my Honkai Star Rail account. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's got to be Armored Core. I mean, especially for most trans game of the year. Yes, I would there say. So many, this, there were so many options, but like That's I do think thing. Armored Core had something special, and it's not just... There's queer characters, which I love, but like there's <laughs> the the queer community and the trans community, especially it was like, everybody drop what you're doing. It's armored core time. Yeah, that's true. No one really appreciates mechs the way that trans people do. I would say another like runner up for me. I agree with you, but I think Goodbye Volcano High is in the running, too, just for being like kind of upfront. I feel like a lot of times when games try to be like queer games, it's just like extremely i don't know target pride collection vibes <laughs> goodbye volcano high is like more a lot more realistic uh and like just feels like a queer friend group uh as opposed to like people trying to like do representation you know mm-hmm. um so I, I appreciate that about it um i think moving on from that uh, one way to go is to the category that we have, which is most romanceable NPCs. Mm-hmm. And I think this was locked up so quick by Baldur's Gate 3. Yes. I think the only one that really gave it a run for its money is Honkai Star Rail. I was going to say, if Honkai Star Rail actually let me romance people, then yes. it, would be, it would be a winner because I'm obsessed with almost every character in that game. But I can't. But I can romance right. Shadowheart. Yeah, you can just like text them at all hours of the night, which is which is pretty cool. I do appreciate that. Um, and also like so many of these characters just like text like disaster lesbians in Honkai Star Rail, which I really appreciate. They really they have our text energy. Um, <laughs> you could you could put our discord conversations into the 
you know, the phone of Honkai Star Rail and no one would tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's very clearly Baldur's Gate 3. There's, there's something for everyone there. Often multiple things for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Baldur's Gate, the only game of the year that let me romance a evil lizard woman who hates me. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to say, like, come on, if you're going to go after one of the evil women, it's Minthara. Top she's, tier. I don't, I mean, she's hot. She's, she's too evil for me. Sorry that you can't love her for who she is. You don't yeah. support women's wrongs. Yeah, my my stance against wanton slaughter is very problematic. You're right. I'm glad you admit it. <laughs> but also, I mean, uh, yeah, we we disagree about Lazelle, but uh, there's just there's just something about her, you know. Sure. Um, <laughs> at any rate, whoever it is that you're um, sharing a, a a sleeping bag by the fire with. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is the pretty clear winner. Let's say best performance. Let's move on to best performance. That's a real one. Okay, yeah, this is <laughs> as opposed to our other bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's like, there's kind of a discussion to be had here because there are a lot of options for me, but mm-hmm. the ones that I narrowed it down to were Ralph Innocent as Sid in Final Fantasy 16, which is like the only thing I will give that game is that... Sid is so fucking good. A personal one is Jenny Lee, who is the narrator of Banned Origins, uh, which I think is incredibly special. Great year for narrators in games, which I'm sure you'll talk about. And then the other one is like, it's kind of a cop out, but again, just the cast of Baldur's Gate 3. Like, I don't think you can really pick one, although if you could, I would pick Jennifer English. Um, But like the entire cast is so spectacular. Yeah, that is the tough thing about Baldur's Gate 3 is like, and literally anyone in that cast could win this and it would be right um but yeah for me i i am your your speculation was correct i'm going with uh jonathan sims from slay the princess my other i mean the other nominees would have been essentially like the same the cast of Baldur's gate also honorable mention to both of the lead characters in killer frequency which is a game that is like very much about a conversation between a radio DJ and like the producer of the show. And they both do a really, really great job with that. Um, but Jonathan Sims takes it away for me for all the reasons we talked about in mm-hmm. our last episode. I feel like to pick one winner, I, this is our own awards show, so we can do whatever we want. I think it'd be okay to give this to an ensemble and say it's Baldur's Gate. Yeah, that's yes. That's the thing. I guess we also, if if it hasn't become clear yet, we don't ever have to agree on it. Well, only for game of the year do we have to agree. I think yeah. we set out this rule last year where we can always have our own mm-hmm. winners, except for game of the year. But yeah, I think if we were going to agree on one, it's like the cast of Baldur's Gate three for sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Since we just did a real one, I want to move on to one that's not quite as real, and it's my favorite category that i made last year for one specific game and it has now become my favorite thing to talk about which is oh yes you know what it is it's the return of most realistic trees and the crowd favorite yeah and i okay i'll say it it's it locked up again so quick for me this one alan wake 2 yeah which i mean those trees bright falls is like 
such a foresty town and like even in um the gameplay the trees look good but especially what i'm thinking about is those cut scenes at the beginning when you're mm. driving into bright falls uh-huh and you just see this like you know pacific northwest like forest it's those are some damn fine trees yeah it's extremely realistic i would say the other one that was on my list was final fantasy 16 there's like a forest at the beginning of it that had like really mm-hmm. great trees but this, the category is most realistic trees. And so Alan Wake 2, we have to abide by the spirit of the category. Exactly. Uh, otherwise, this whole exercise becomes meaningless. And so most realistic <laughs> trees, I agree. The girlies mean something, goddamn it. It means something. We have, we have integrity. Yeah. That's what separates us from those other ragtag award shows. I do think it'd be funny to send Remedy a <laughs> a little trophy that says most realistic trees. We the should. Girlies. How about we go to, uh, let's go to another uh, Willa-created category that's new for this year, the Ooh. best fishing minigame. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we're probably going to have the same one here, because I think this kind of, ca- oh no, this, or wait, was this a fan-suggested one? This was a fan-suggested one. That's right. This was a fan-suggested I'm thinking that it's yours because you wrote a piece about Sea of Stars fishing minigame. Yeah. But this was another fan suggestion. Sorry Mm -hmm. sorry to that fan for stealing their valor. Um, But yeah, I would also say Sea of Stars has a... I think what what I like about it is it's very different from other fishing minigames. Like, usually it's just like push a button in rhythm. And where this game doesn't necessarily... It's not like simulationist in the way that most are. It's like a different take on it. And I just find Mm -hmm. that interesting. Yeah, I mean... I wrote at length about why I think this fishing minigame is fucking incredible. Um, and it really all comes down to, I think most fishing minigames are way too passive, where it's literally mm-hmm. just kind of wait, watch, tap a button, done. And there's so much more going on here. It's really incredible. And uh, not to dig at Sea of Stars, but to do exactly that, it's probably one of the best things in that game. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that I didn't finish the game, but I did play a lot of the fishing. Yeah, the fishing is fantastic. Like, literally, if you do want a game that just has really good fishing, honestly, do buy Sea of Stars. <laughs> it's worth it just for the fishing. If you just want to play a fishing game. Yeah. Um, a category that I'm going to go on to from kind of going back to most realistic trees, which I think is the natural continuation, is kind of a real category, best game environment. Mm-hmm. Which kind of the way we did it last year is it's it's not a game with the best world. It's just like a specific part of a game world that we thought was really, really special. And for me, I had two nominate like two nominees for this, which is Fortuna's like house in the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood. Oh yeah, that's a really good one. They just make it look so homey and lived in, which is wild considering it's supposed to be like her prison almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one was the entirety of a Highland song, actually, which is those rolling mountains and hills are really beautifully designed and they really do evoke like a feeling of being in Scotland, um, like yeah. walking around. Those are my two. Don't eat my headphone cord. Um, sorry. There's my, my cat has rushed the stage to try to disrupt the proceedings by Chewing on my headphone cord and screaming about Bill Clinton. Um, <laughs> sorry. 
Yeah, so I actually have a couple that I wanted to bring up. Uh, there's a ho- the hotel in Sludge Life 2, which is a game I know you didn't play. But in Sludge Life 2, there is like one little sequence where there's a hotel full of people living. And it's just like every door you open, there's just something insane happening. Like there's one where there's a guy who's like sitting on like a stool and meditating, surrounded by like cats that are all looking up at him. There's like a room where you go in and there's like a little like toy that's sitting on the ground that keeps getting closer to you every time you turn away. It's just all these weird little sight gags in a game that's like about sight gags. So it's a really lovely, please, Goblin. <laughs> um, check, a, check one of those toys I got you. Oh, yeah. I don't, I need to remember to like always keep toys near me so I can distract them. I actually have a laser pointer. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, the other one that I was going to say was um, the your grandma's house in Dordogne, which oh, is yeah. a really like, you know, nice little spot full of, uh, yeah, just like full of childhood memories and like lots of interesting things to explore. But the one I'm actually going to give it to is very similar uh, in spirit to the Cosmic Rail Sisterhood, the the ship from uh, Salt Sea Chronicles, mm-hmm. where you spend a lot of your time. Uh, it's just like the the way that you see the ship is like as a cross section, as if you were looking at it like a diagram in a like a textbook or something. It reminds me of that scene from The Life Aquatic where they pull out and you can see kind of the whole ship. And there's just little like things going on all over. So you can click and see like, oh, someone's making stew in here. Someone's like trying to calm their baby in this room. These two are having an argument. Uh, it's just this really cool way of visualizing like this, the relationships between this community mm-hmm. uh, that I really, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, do we want to, there's another like very kind of specific category that we had have done, uh, which is the best mechanic. Yeah, let's do that. Let's which do best is like, mechanic. Yeah, like similar to best environment. It's it's not about like the game as a whole, but it's about like one thing that a, a game allows you to do that is mm-hmm. that is the most interesting. So I actually have three nominees. Okay, cool. Which are the making of Karateka. Mm-hmm. For just its, you know, use of playable games versus documentary and, you know, archiving um, all being playable. It's something we've never seen. And then kind of more traditionally thinking about specific gameplay mechanics, uh, Chance of Sonar, the translation mechanic in Chance of Sonar, I think is incredible. Totally. Uh, it really transforms the like the fun kind of... Uh, deductive puzzle solving of a game like uh, Return to the Obra Dinn into language. And it's so cool. And then the last one is Viewfinder, which I think is kind of the epitome of this category because totally. I don't really care about anything else in that game. But the the like central mechanic of taking photos and then being able to use them to create new 3D space in the world is like jaw dropping. And I Absolutely. still don't I still don't get it. I still think yeah. it's literal magic. So I think Viewfinder might be honestly the one that ends up taking it just because it's like so astounding. Yeah. Um, I also have a couple of of like sort of runners up, which are the the wall kick in Pseudo Regalia, which is like, uh, you know, Pseudo Regalia is like a traversal based Metroidvania where like the way that you get around instead of having a double jump, you have a kick that like propels you in one direction. And if you hit a wall, you then jump off the wall. So there's lots. It's like a very technical way of moving that I really appreciate. Uh, my other runner up is Cocoon for the idea of like turning each environment into an object that you can then carry around and use to manipulate other worlds. 
Um, I would say Cocoon would be my winner if it weren't for Viewfinder being kind of a consensus choice. Because uh, <laughs> I agree, that mechanic is... I think it's a, a the kind of mechanic that like you can explain it and it sounds very impressive, but you do not understand how cool it is until you actually do it in practice. Like I knew what the game was about when I first played the demo, but the first time that I was able to actually do it, like take a photo and turn it into a real thing was like, this is impossible. <laughs> like this game can't exist. <laughs> I feel like we're getting heavy on, um, real categories. We need some dumb bullshit. We need some uh, silly, silly categories. Yeah. Okay. No, we can go to another one. That's, it's not dumb bullshit, but it is silly, which is the You Drop This King Award. Hell yeah. Uh, this is a new award for this year. And like so many of the categories that we come up with, we sort of have the winner before we even have the category. <laughs> uh, it's a category that's presented because of a certain thing happening. It's like a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> it's like a Lifetime Achievement Award and just like dudes being dudes. Mm-hmm. Um this this award very clearly goes to Ben Starr. Fuck yeah. Uh, who played Clive. Yeah, in, Clive in Final Fantasy 16. I can never remember his name as Clive or Clyde. Mm-hmm. Who played Clive in Final Fantasy 16. The reason that this came to me was because at the Golden Joysticks, he was asked by the interviewer, like, do you think this is a good name good year for games? And he was like, actually, no, it's not, because like this industry is like going through horrible layoffs and upheaval and like it can't be a good year for games if it's bad for developers but you also have other reasons for why he deserves this award as well first off the whole time he was at the golden joysticks award he was wearing a final fantasy 8 shirt because he is constantly talking about how final fantasy 8 is his favorite final fantasy game Mm -hmm. which immediately makes him amazing and he won't stop talking about it He is single-handedly bringing back Final Fantasy VIII, and I think it's long overdue. He's just so cool. And like, as someone who didn't like Final Fantasy XVI, I was like, dude, you are the coolest dude in the world. Like, he just constantly is tweeting funny jokes and videos of him. Yeah, I think the funniest thing was something that you brought up, which is when he tweeted at uh, Jade from The Gamer. (laughs) Because Jade wrote this article that was essentially, fine, Ben Starr, I'll play Final Fantasy VIII. And then he responded, enjoy Triple Triad. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is very funny. And He's very committed. <laughs> there's more, though, which is he keeps talking about how good Octopath Traveler 2 is. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and then also about. he keeps doing hilarious stuff with the cast of Final Fantasy 16, like getting Ralph Ineson to call um, to call him baby girl in a video and say Zaddy Clyde or <laughs> Zaddy Sid. He's so fucking funny. I love this man. Oh, man. Is it my turn? Yeah, I think I've done a couple. <laughs> OK, um, I think we should go to our other horny category, which is something that you created this year. Okay. Uh, which is buff video game lady of the year. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, we had the winner before we had the category. We we do, but I also I also have another um I also okay. have another one. Yeah, start with your runner up. Well, I think we should start with the one that I think we should start with the normal one. Okay. <laughs> which, which is Carlac. Which is Carlac. Just no explanation needed. God damn. <laughs> She, yeah, um, she's just great. <laughs> My other, uh, let's say more um, niche pick 
would be Sybil from Pseudo Regalia. I should have Sybil known. who never skips leg day. It's just look up just look up any picture of Sybil from Pseudo Regalia if you don't know what I mean, and you will you will immediately get it. Just like she could. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, I think this is probably a good time to go to another real category, which is best. Did we really not do this last year? Best music? I don't think we did. I think this Weird. was a fan suggestion, which was like, why didn't we do this? Yeah. Or was this strange. you that came up anyways? Um, but this year, I think we both had like, you actually convinced me to play what ends up is probably, I'm sure is going to be both of our winner this year, which is Octopath Traveler 2. Absolutely. This fucking game. It's the music in this game is incredible. It's so good. Like, literally, as soon as I booted it up for the first time and the title track started playing, I was like, oh, this is probably going to be the best soundtrack this year. Uh, and it does continue to be just phenomenal music. It is a crime that this was not nominated at the actual game awards. I, like, genuinely don't understand how that's how it slipped by. It's so confusing. But like, yeah, so this is obviously the winner, deservedly so. Uh There are two games that I wanted to shout out in a like in some capacity, Mm -hmm. which is I do want to shout out Hi-Fi Rush for an excellent licensed soundtrack. It has a number girl song in it, so it is pretty great. And then on top of that, I think like if we're going to talk about musical moments in a game this year, we have to talk about Alan Wake 2. Mm hmm. Because its musical moment is so fucking incredible. And it's a, I still think it's one of the standout moments in any game this year. Yeah. I will say on that, that specific note, um, the f- sort of final, or no, I think it's the penultimate performance of uh, Goodbye Volcano High. You play like a couple of tracks at like a battle of the bands. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, this like visual novel slash rhythm game. So you're playing the rhythm game as these great songs go on. It's just a very like emotional high moment. Like as I, I don't know, I've talked about it before, like it wasn't my favorite game of the year, like, but it was one of the games that like, while I was playing it, like the feeling of playing it was like just incredible uh, in those moments where it really hits. So mm-hmm. I think that's worth shouting out too. Mm-hmm. I think we should start with, or we'll continue with <laughs> start. What is that with me? This is a new category for this year, and it's sort of a joke, but I honestly do think it's real, especially for the type of people we are and how we play games, which is this is the best non-indie game slash the best AAA (laughs) game, Yes, which was jokingly made as a response to the Game Awards having best indie versus best game of the year because it's kind of stupid because it's like... Game Awards specifically, but also like generally the way that we cover games yeah indie gets kind of put in the you know sort of second class yeah so i wanted to like take a second especially as us who mainly play indie games to highlight some of the good things happening in triple a games um so for me the best triple a game this year is alan wake 2 although i think there's a consensus between us maybe that the best triple a game would be armored core yes that's mine for sure which I think largely comes down to that being basically the only AAA game that I played. But that's also <laughs> speaks to the fact that it was the only one that seemed interesting enough to play, you know? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I played a little Alan Wake. I played a tiny bit of Final Fantasy 16. I'm still mad that you're a little bit, you're just too much of a scaredy cat to really get to play Alan Wake. <laughs> yeah, I'm mad too. I wish I wasn't like this. 
but yeah, I for me it's definitely Armored Core Six. Uh, similar to what I was just saying about like those those the best moments of Goodbye Volcano High being like the most like the best I felt playing a game. That was mm-hmm. the entire experience of Armored Core. I have never played an action game that feels better than this. It's just incredible, and it, plus it's got like the other stuff on top of it too, right? Like it's got the interesting things going on with mechs. It's got the uh, it's got the Cinder Carla of it all, which helps. There's some really excellent moments, I think, also in there with um, when you are going into a fight with a companion. Mm-hmm. So you have like two of you versus like your the people you're fighting um, that are like some of absolute standout like set piece moments that are just things I haven't really seen AAA games do this well ever. So uh, I think it's I think it's well deserved. Mm-hmm. How about we go to speaking of AAA? Why don't we talk about uh, a AAA's favorite trend this year uh, and go to the best remaster slash remake category? Yeah, so I think it's time we made this category because there are so many of them. I mean, there's Dead Space remake, Resident Evil Four remake, Metroid Prime remaster, Super Mario RPG remaster slash remake. I don't remember what they called that one, um, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of them. And I, my choice is a bit controversial. It's it's the making of Karateka <laughs> because it it does have a remaster in it. And it also gives you access to like almost every version of that game ever. And on top of that, it does something actually interesting about preservation. I think, yeah, I mean, it is a game that contains remasters of another game. It's an interesting thing. And I think it does kind of like. It's obviously the kind of thing you couldn't do for something like. God, there's there's just so much we could say about it. Car- like this is a game that like is way more deserving of uh, a re-release than something like Dead Space, which came out a couple of years ago. Like this allows you to play a game that you like wouldn't have easy access to otherwise, and because it is like an older and like more like simple game than any of like the recent remasters, it allows that to have all of these different versions of it, which mm-hmm. I think is like the best case you could make for a re-release. Is let's not just like make this game again let's show you the versions of it that already existed and put them out again and uh, allow you to kind of like live through the the evolution that the game itself took and plus it has a great game around it which is you know helpful Mm -hmm. but i think even if we discount the rest of making of karateka and just look at it in terms of like the versions of karateka that are in it like i think that philosophy to what re-releases can be is is worth uh admiring yeah, definitely. So this is a new category for this year that I came up with, which is the Best Silly Little Guy Award. Oh, yeah. Um, it's been a great year for for weird little guys, for sure. Do you want to go first and then hear mine, or do you want to hear mine first? I want to hear yours, because you said you had a good one. So I have two. Okay. Um, my first one is Pom Pom from Honkai Star Rail. Mm-hmm. He is just a silly little guy. I love that little guy. Um, and then my my second nomination for best silly little guy is Abramar from the Cosmic Wheel Sisterhood. <laughs> you're so right. Oh my god, he you're so right. Si- he is such a silly little guy. He's a silly little guy. I don't know what to tell you. God, you're so right. I am so right. God, 
That's so that's so good. <laughs> um, I was also thinking Pom Pom because he's a silly, he's a little bear dog thing and like a conductor hat. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you go back to the train, he's just like standing there and crying. Yeah. <laughs> it really makes me laugh. It's so sad. This poor it's guy. Just, it's so weird. Um, yeah. The other, God, Evermore is such a good pick. The other one that I was going to uh, to bring to you, let me send you an image. The little um, NPCs in Pseudo Regalia. There's <laughs> these little guys that you talk to who are basically like little non-sexy versions of Sybil. They're just these tiny little goat people, but they're wearing like the same clothes and they're like half of her height. Mm-hmm. And you find them all over the game just like often just like trapped in cages and shit and just saying like the most doomed things. They will just say like, I don't know, it's just very funny coming across these like cute little goat cartoon characters that are like speaking about their impending death and also sometimes just giving you dialogue. But yeah, yeah they're just these cute little goat cartoons that I, I just love seeing them every time. Very, uh, very pom-pom-like attire, actually. Yeah. I think I think Abramar is such a good. Pick, I think Abramar. That's that's a that is a galaxy brain pick. He's got to be, be the Abramar. winner. Absolutely, no question. Uh, Why don't we go with uh, another? I think another invention of yours from last year, which was most game. Yeah, this is this we which we had a lot of discussion about what that meant. Yeah, but yeah, most game, which doesn't really have a real definition. You just kind of feel it. It's a vibe. Uh-huh. And I think there, for me, there were two that were absolutely the most game, which is, and I wonder if we have the same, Tears of the Kingdom and Baldur's Gate 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last year, I took it to mean like the most video game-ass video game. Yeah. But this year, I think there were some very clear ones for your definition of it, which is just like the most game. I think Baldur's Gate is a big, is a good pick. But for me, it, mine was Tears of the Kingdom, just for like the sheer size and just like I think the amount of stuff going on in it. Absolutely. Um, it has three different world maps. It has this weird like building mechanic, which is a whole game in itself. It's just so much fucking game. The, I, I think that that's the one for me. Yeah, it, it really was a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that actually goes into um, another category, which is a uh, game I'm never going to finish. Yeah. Which kind of is the same for me. It's Tears of the Kingdom and Baldur's Gate 3. Yep. Those are definitely ones. For me, though, I went with uh, Alan Wake 2 because, you know, there's a world in which I go back and play Baldur's Gate or something. But Mm -hmm. I just, unless I, you know, get real brave, I'm just not going to finish Alan Wake 2. I'm probably going to end up just like watching a walkthrough of it or something. Because I really want to experience it, but I just, I I know I don't have it in me. I'm so sad about that. I know. I am too. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, I think kind of continue on, or wait, is it my turn or is it your turn? It doesn't matter. Whatever. There are no rules. We make yeah. the rules. I wanted to talk about <laughs> the best game of 2022 that I played in 2023. Uh-huh. Because first I wanted to point out something. Because okay. I re-listened to last year's girl mo- oh, uh, no. girlies. I listened to last year's girlies. Uh-huh. And I have a question for you. Robin, did you at all play Marvel's Midnight Suns in the year 2023? I knew this was going to come up. 
<laughs> Not a single second of it did I play. The other thing I mentioned was Stray, and I did not also boot that up for a single second. Uh-huh. Um, what were yours? What were your... Because that was your best game you meant to play in 2020. <laughs> yeah. In 2022. What were yours last year? Um, or what was yours? So mine was the one that I said I would play in 2023, but I never got around to was Kirby in the Forgotten Land. Uh-huh. Um, and here's what I did. I played an hour of it this year. And I very quickly was like, eh, this isn't for me. I'm going to stop. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it would be for you. <laughs> yeah. But um, for me, the game of 2022 that I actually did end up playing was Horizon Forbidden West. Oh, nice. Because I recently finally got a PlayStation 5. That's right. And it's on PlayStation Plus. And I haven't finished the game, but I've consistently been playing this game since I got the PlayStation 5 because there's something really weird to me of like, I am very critical of AAA games. I don't really love too many big open world kind of like meaningless checklist games, which Mm -hmm. Horizon games pretty much are. They have like a little bit of flavor to them, but that's essentially what they are. But for the life of me, I cannot put these games down. I love them. Like I played the shit out of Horizon um, Zero Dawn and the Mm -hmm. DLC. And I just started up Forbidden West. and I was like, you know what? This game fucks. Nice. I've not played Forbidden West, but I do feel the same way about Horizon Zero Dawn. Like, there's something just so satisfying about, like, picking parts off of the dinosaurs when you shoot them. And, like, there's enough interesting going on with the story that you're at least, like, it's it's something, you know? It's, you know... Uh, and, yeah, the world, I think, is interesting enough that you're you can kind of look forward to what you're going to see next. Um, but I think it is, like, yeah, that combat is satisfying mm-hmm. enough. We talked a bit before we started recording about kind of changing this category to the best game that wasn't released this year that we played this year, which for me was mostly for my benefit because I didn't play any 2022 games this year. Marvel's Midnight Suns, least of all. (laughs) But a game that I played this year and like, it's a game that I've been like meaning to play for quite a long time. And I suspected I would love when I played it. And then I played it and fucking adored it was paradise killer oh which yeah I played at the beginning of this year i think there are other ones like we had talked about before like i've been i've been playing a little bit of three houses again mm-hmm. uh, i finally played through near automata which we talked about on the podcast which was a great experience but for me it was like i i'd also i had played a lot of near automata before this year i just never finished it paradise killer was brand new to me and it fucking paid off so hard that game is so good um, and I'm I'm very glad I finally got to play it. So I'm going to add a game to my answer then, if we're going to like talk about games that are just yeah, yeah. not from this year. And again, it's not even a game that I've finished, but it's a game that I've like started and been like so in love with, which is Thirteen Sentinels: Age of Serum. That was the other one I wanted to to bring up, but I think we'll probably f- finish it at some point. Yeah. But it's like one of those games where I was like, oh, this game is like made for me and I can't believe I never played it. And now I'm playing it and loving it. Yeah, yeah. it's so good. We still need to we both still need to finish it, which maybe we'll we'll talk about at a later date. Yeah, that was the plan anyway. But yeah, that game rules so hard. Mm -hmm. I love that game. Um, Yeah. Should we do best game I meant to play in 2023, but didn't then? Yeah, we might as well now if we're at this point. Yeah, which I mean, the short answer is everything like a million games 
there are so many this year. Mm-hmm. There are so I could I could easily spend the entire next year only playing games from this year, and I would not come close to running out. Yeah, absolutely. I did pick one game in particular, though. Yeah, which the game that I ended up picking was Jusant. Okay. Because I haven't gotten around to it, and you know, I have like a week left before the year is out. I don't think I'm going to get around to it yet. Yeah. But like everybody says, it's incredible, and I think I will really like it. And it's not even going to be the biggest time commitment. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, it's, so it's I just pretty need easy to, to breeze through. I just need to play it, and it it really is. I think out of most of the games that came out this year that I didn't get around to, it's the one that I've been like, okay, I need to sit down and play it. I need to sit down and play it, and it just never happened. Yeah. Yeah, I this is a hard one for me this year because there are so many. I think the ones that really come to mind, um, I really want to finish El Paso Elsewhere. Uh, and also, but I think that the pick I'm going to, I think, go with is Videoverse, uh, which is a game that I played the demo of earlier this year and was really into. And it seems like it's going to possibly reduce me to a puddle of tears when i finally finish it i think you'll yeah you probably will feel that way it seems like it seems like a, a robin game for sure so i think that's <laughs> that's my one of that i you know i probably should have played by now i'm gonna keep again i'm gonna keep this in mind next year in case we need to put ourselves on blast I, again uh, listen i'm probably not going to play it i just want to <laughs> um i mean while we're talking about bridging the gap from this year to the next uh, why don't we go to best delay? Yeah, okay. Uh, this is again a category that we had like two definitions for of like, what are we happy? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are we happy that got delayed because we just don't have time right now and we want to play it? And then also like, I don't like this game. I want it to be delayed forever. Mm-hmm. So for me, the game that I said, I'm just happy this game get- keeps getting delayed is Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, <laughs> I, that's I, a rough one. I want this game to not come out ever. Um, cause I think it's just going to be garbage. Yeah. Uh, the, the good one is demon school mm-hmm. because there was no fucking way I was going to be able to commit my time to demon school this year. And I know the second that game comes out, I am going to want to just completely spend all of my time playing it. Yeah. For, for the same reason, mine was, uh, fantasy life. I, the girl who steals time. Which is a sequel to Fantasy Life, as you know the name implies, which is like a life sim game that's also kind of an RPG. And it was delayed from like December into next year. And it's the same thing. Like I just a life sim game to start when I was like trying to play shit for like game of the year and game awards consideration was just not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it's due in the summer now, which should be a nice, you know, thing that I can use to hide from the sun all summer um that's a better a better time frame for it for me yeah um i think our next category we should get around to the most excruciating discourse yeah man so many of, options a, a lot of yeah god it's a big year for this for i sure. want to hear what yours is um i don't know i the one that is on top of my mind just because it happened this week is the leak discourse which is largely like there was a not actually a leak but a hack of insomniac that revealed a lot of uh personal details of employees uh which obviously is terrible and also details of um the insomniac games like production schedule for the next fucking 500 years 
And the discourse around this game was basically a lot of people who are not journalists telling journalists that they're bad for doing their job. Um, there's a lot of discourse around this. People basically saying you shouldn't cover the hack because that encourages people to do more hacks, which is not an argument that makes any sense. Um, a lot of people saying like you're hurting developers by releasing this information, which is also like, I don't know, maybe more arguable, but it's not a journalist's job to protect developers. Um, no one was like, the, I think the thing that would have been crossing the line is pointing people to the actual documents because those did contain personal details of employees. But that's also a thing that I didn't see anybody doing. Um, I think there's been a lot of discussion on it, like a lot of interesting discussion about like the the role of games journalism, which is often seen as a mouthpiece for PR. But what made this discourse excruciating is the number of people who were arguing that games journalism should be a mouthpiece for PR and that any deviation from that is actually unethical. Uh, I think the the sort of crowning achievement of that was the open critic Twitter account tweeting the Society of Professional Journalists Code of Ethics, it, which made it very clear that reporting on these leaks was in no way unethical, but they somehow posted it as a gotcha to be like, see, you're violating this code of ethics. Yeah, it was just a bunch of people talking a bunch of shit about things they do not know what they're talking about with like absolute authority. Yeah, so that's like, it's definitely a recency bias, but that's the one that it's just like, I, I think it bothers me because there's a discussion to be had there about how to handle these things. But instead of having the interesting discussion, people just used it as another excuse to hate on reporters, which is like a pastime of many, uh, you know, gamers anyway. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. you had some other, you, you dug a little deeper into the, the shit pile this year to find some earlier discourses. Yeah, I think it was just the fact that we forgot that it happened almost because it was near the beginning of the year. But for me, mm. my answer was very squarely everything surrounding the launch of Hogwarts Legacy. <laughs> because I think the launch of Hogwarts Legacy ended up having, it encapsulated so many different types of discourse surrounding to like games writing and everything surrounding it into one like disgusting package because it was like what is the role of a critic what should a That's review sh what should a review be should a review be objective subjective should it be a buyer's guide our review score stupid is like does being mean to a game hurt developers there was so much shit like it does and then of course it like just went out even bigger to like does this profit jk rowling and like does playing this game actually affect like how trans people are treated it was wild like this one game i think was the centerpiece of so much fucking discourse and also of course led to the same thing that you were just talking about of like people harassing journalists over doing their goddamn job um in so many ways Maybe it's just me personally, because I had to deal with a lot of it. Um, yes. But I think it was like, it was just kind of the bottom of the barrel of a lot of like things um, wrapped into one. Yeah, I think you're right. I did forget how the, all of the sides of that because it was so early in the year. Because mm -hmm. it was, for me, it was kind of like my, my, the way that I remembered it was just like the kind of review th of people like doing a bad job on reviews, which you know, sucks, but like, isn't discourse. I kind of forgot how much 
there became like this meta conversation about what should criticism be. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about expressing stupid opinions confidently. Yeah. God, what a, what a great year for stupid takes. (laughs) Truly. Congrats to everyone. You've wasted so much time. Talking about stupid shit, um, I think this is a great time to do the category, the dumbest thing a developer said, which is slightly tweaked from last year. Yes. Because last year it was the dumbest thing that a developer actually said to a journalist. Although we did have a couple of our nominees were not fitting that definition anyway. Yeah, that's Um, true. So, yeah. So, yeah, this year we just said it's the dumbest thing that a developer said. Which um, there was a lot, but for me, the one that I just found kind of the funniest and stupidest was uh, The Day Before Developers, which is that game that like very recently came out and then immediately crashed and burned. Like it was a disaster and people were like, we want refunds and all that. The developer tweeted something that they were like responding to fans being like, we want, you know, refunds. This is like absurd. And they said... (laughs) They tweeted, this was our first big experience. Shit happens. (laughs) Yeah, it was was very clearly an obvious scam. Yeah. Yeah. So I I picked that one. Yeah, that was mine too, which is also maybe a recency bias. I didn't go back and like look for too many examples. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there were more like very out in the open ones last year than this year, maybe. Uh, but yeah, that was the one I was thinking. I was like, I don't know. Did Neil Druckmann say anything this year? But I don't I don't think so. Um, so, yeah, I think that's mine, too. T- just to move away from the negativity for a minute. Uh, let's go for the best looking game. Yeah. OK. I mean, for me, there there are a lot to choose from. There are a lot of really good looking games this year. The one that I really just want to pick is Bayonetta Origins, Reason the Lost Demon. Mm-hmm. I think this game looks gorgeous and it comes down to having such a unique art style that it really commits to. It looks like a storybook. It looks like it's all, you know, painted in watercolor. Um, I really loved how this game looks. I think it's so unique um, and I could not stop talking about how much I loved this game and how much it looked really great. Yeah. Uh, for me, I have a very clear winner in Mediterranean Inferno, mm. uh, which is a visual novel. It uh, it's a story about like COVID trauma, and it's it it illustrates the the game in just this really like aggressively vibrant colors and lots of there's like lots of religious imagery everywhere. Very surreal artistic choices. This the name of this category is like kind of a joke in that the Game Awards has best art direction, mm-hmm. but what they're always talking about is like the most like technically proficient look. You know, it's the the most polygons. It's the most realistic Whereas, trees. Yes, it's the most realistic trees. Whereas ours is called the best looking game, and it's actually about art direction mm-hmm. because it's like actually about the choices that are made. Uh, and yeah, I think both of these games are like thinking about not just how to look, make a game look good, but how to make the uh, the game visually reflect its its themes and its ideas. And I think both of these games do that. And you should play Mediterranean Inferno because it's not getting talked about enough and it's fucking great. Um, next, I'm going to go to a fan-suggested question. Cool. This is a listener category, which is game that you would most recommend to a complete newbie. Yeah. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, actually. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting 
I th- spent a lot of time thinking about what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what is a person who is new to video games looking for? Yeah. I think is an interesting question. I kind of came up with two that are a little bit different, mm-hmm. which is the first one that I said is Venba. I also have that on my list. Well, there you go. Um, I did Venba because I think it's short. It's a really good story that you're easy, like you can easily get into. It's mechanically light, um, but still very engaging. And I kind of think I kind of think that it shows some of the best of like some of what games can be, especially this year. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked it. The other one I went for was Sea of Stars, actually, because it is very much a video game. Like it's a very traditional video game. So I think if if someone was like, I want to get into video games and they're just like thinking what like a traditional quote unquote, whatever that means, video game is. Sea of Stars in many ways is that. It is a video game ass video game. And while I don't think it's the best game ever, I think it it would satisfy a lot of people. And I don't think it's compli- so complicated that you would get lost. Yeah, I think we had very similar takes on this. Like I also said Venba for the same reason where it's like, if you want to show someone, you know, a more a more narrative side to video games, which is something I think that often people who don't play games like don't know is there so much. But one of those games that also has like some gameplay to it. So it's not just a visual novel. I think that's a good choice. The other one I was thinking along those lines is actually a game I don't particularly like, but Season mm-hmm. for kind of a similar reason where There is some, I can see someone really enjoying like moving through the world. It's also very beautiful. And at the same time, it's, it's telling a story in in, an, you know, interesting way, but it also is about the, the way the story is told is by you going and discovering these things. Like it requires a bit more interaction to get to the story than something like Venba, which I think could be a good way to show someone like the ways that video games have uh, sort of different methods of storytelling than other media, which I think is like kind of the the way that you learn to like read games is knowing how they deliver their stories. And a big part of that is experience. Um, and so I think like season is a good choice for that. I was looking for other just like simple games. I don't know. I didn't really come up with anything on that front. I think I think season is probably my choice for this. And yeah, good suggestion. Also, thank you um, for for sending that in. I I ended up like, it's one of those questions. I think we both get asked a lot, like, "Oh, what game do you recommend?" Like when people find out what we do for work, and it's often like you just kind of draw a blank. Yeah, you were just but telling me this happened to you. It happened to me like a week ago. But yeah, this this question of like someone who is new to games, like I think, is a a, a more interesting way of thinking to it than ju- thinking about it than just like, "What game do you recommend?" Um, so yeah, thanks. Why don't we go to the, oh, the Jess Reyes Award Hell yeah. uh, for, for best game that's just mid. That's a great <laughs> one. Um, which is, yeah, named after our former coworker, Jess Reyes. Yeah, she like tweeted it one time and she was like, I love a game that's just mid. Yeah, it's and sometimes you do just love a mm-hmm. game that's just mid. So for me, my, my best game that's just mid uh, is Afogado, a game that I've talked about briefly on the show before. It's a combination like tower defense, visual novel, cafe sim that doesn't really nail any of those parts 100%, but is interesting enough in all of them to just be a real good time. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, it's got lots of cat girls. Um, <laughs> yeah. How about you? So for me, I had a few. Um, 
The first one is Sea of Stars. Again, oh, it's a yeah. game that I don't personally love so much, but like it's it's mid and it you can see what it's doing and it's just very much like a it washes over you. <laughs> it's mid and that's the okay. best way. It's mid and that's okay. The other games that I have on here, one I think is going to offend some people, which is a uh, Hi-Fi Rush. It's mid and that's okay. It's okay <laughs> that it's just okay, everybody. I'm sorry. Oh. It is fun. It's like a PlayStation 2 action platformer with some style. And that's cool. And I like it. I just don't think it was the best thing in the world. Also, I feel like, you know, we spend so much time talking to our coworker Hayes Matson that I have to say Exoprimal deserves to be on this. <sighs> Because that's a game that he even talks about being kind of like mid and he doesn't know why everybody yes. keeps playing it. But both him and Geo from Digital Trends have played this game for like 100 hours. Yes, they're obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, I mean, like, I think everybody has those games where you're like, look, I can't defend this, but I just love it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. I think not every game has to be like, you know, you don't need like a, a thought out critical reason. Sometimes you just play a game and you're like, yeah, I don't know. It's fun shooting dinosaurs with a machine gun. I, I like if you don't get that, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, play, I played this game also with with Joseph, like for a preview a long time ago. And that was like, I, you know, was probably a little more negative on it. But I was just like, yeah, this game is just fun. I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, there's it just is. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do the gender slider award for excellence in character creation. Mm -hmm. I have two. Okay. The first one is Baldur's Gate 3, because I feel like, you know, it makes a lot of sense. The other one is Armored Core 6 Fires of Rubicon. Oh. And I know this is kind of interpreting big brain it. Take. It's a big brain take, but I just think that it makes sense. God, you're <laughs> this so is, right. This is our award show, and we can do whatever we want. That's and true. If, and if designing your Armored Core however you want is not character creation then get the fuck out <laughs> yeah god you're so right i didn't even think about that for a second My yeah, mine was Baldur's gate 3 because it let me make a trans tiefling which was nice which is pretty cool you know it's it's one thing to like just say your character is trans which i normally do and it's another one to be able to see her dick like <laughs> really and like choose the size of it like it really takes things to another level you know mm -hmm. so i guess we'll, we'll just say that both of them win let's say both of them that's so you're so smart they're both about making the perfect trans coded character <laughs> it's true yeah <sighs> that's what we really want mm -hmm. there's a couple of more negative categories we have left so let's do some of them so we don't get them all at once okay Let's go with uh, the best bug. Yeah. What was the best bug of the year? My favorite bug, and this isn't really negative, my favorite bug is from Baldur's Gate 3. Mm -hmm. And it's for anybody who played Baldur's Gate 3 like at launch, which is the fact that all the companions were super horny and down to fuck all the time. Oh, yeah. Which I we learned was a bug. Which we learned was a bug. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're like, so sorry. Listen, everybody's not trying, is not supposed to be trying to jump your bones all the time. But I think it was incredible. And uh -huh. I think it was so funny and it was so important for that game. And I love it and I miss it. Yeah. 
You're so right. Mine was just going to be the entirety of the Gollum game, <laughs> which just felt like none of that was supposed to be happening. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's so true. Um, I forgot about but that. But yeah, a bug that makes all of your party members want to fuck you is is extremely <laughs> funny, actually. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Let's go to least pronounceable game. Mm-hmm. Do you have one? Because I... I picked one that was just kind of a mouthful. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to send you mine. Oh, God. And I'm going to have to try to pronounce it. <laughs> um, Aka R. Sure. It's A K K A A R R H, which just seems unnecessary. It's a game, game? from Llamasoft. Huh? What is this game? It's a game from Llamasoft. That means nothing to me. It's uh, Llamasoft is the next. It's going to be the subject of the next uh, digital eclipse, like documentary. Oh thing. yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, I um, can't. I can't pronounce that. That's a good point. Yeah, it's completely unpronounceable. <laughs> my other, my runner-up was. It's called Ast- Astilbra Revision. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is an equally. Uh, mm-hmm. Difficult to say name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what was yours? Uh, I was just going to say that, well, my my original one that was just a mouthful was Paranormasite, The Seven Mysteries of Hanjo. There's too much going on there. But um, another one that I think can be mispronounced pretty easily is Baton Kaidos. If you look at oh, it, yeah. spelled out. I don't know if you're supposed to know how to say that. I just hear other people say it, and that's how I learned. Yeah, I... I don't know how to say it still, <laughs> and I just heard you say it. Um, yeah. We're getting down to the end. Um, do you want to pick pick the next category? Well, yeah, let's do the let's do the best chicken noodle soup game. Yeah, so this is a new category that you came up with. Yeah. Literally moments before we started recording. Yeah. Do you want to explain it? Which is just, yeah. So I was just looking at the list we had, and a lot of our categories are either jokes or excuses to be mean to people (laughs) um and so i wanted one that was just like i feel like this is different from a comfort game it's just the game that is the most like positive and just makes you feel nice Mm -hmm. like it's just it's a you know it's just a nice pleasant game about people being good to each other and my pick for this was karma zoo uh which is a game that I wrote a little bit about. It's a multiplayer platformer where you like have to help each other. Like the point of the game is to help each other get to the end, which uh, for a person like me who likes conceptually the idea of playing games with with other people, but often doesn't like competitive games or the way that people behave even in cooperative games, uh, a game that is enforcing uh, helpfulness, I think is really nice. Uh, yeah, it's just a charming little game that that made me feel really good to play. Like it felt good to to help people and and be helped, and it was just really lovely. How about you? For me, I went with Bayonetta Origins. Hmm. I just every time I played this game, I was so happy, and yeah. it just made me so it was so comforting. Like I loved this goddamn game. Every part of it was just so fun and enjoyable, and I never really had anything bad to say about it. Just was a good easy time like nothing too complicated i adored this game and it did make me feel like happy every time i played it yeah nice see we can be nice yeah. okay let's do the most my ship game 
For me, the most my shit game is Octopath Traveler 2. I thought about this a lot and I was like, what was this going to be? There are some other ones. I like I thought about doing Chance of Sonar, uh, which is I really love like a kind of, as I said, a deductive puzzle game like that. But, you know, the games that I love the most are typically I really, really at my core love RPGs and old school style RPGs and Mm -hmm. Octopath Traveler 2 is nothing if not just a perfect version of that. And I mean, I wrote about this, but like it took me a while to really fully learn how much I love this game, but I do and I adore it. (laughs) And it's so good. It's like the turn-based combat is so fucking incredible and I love a turn-based RPG. Uh, There's It's so fucking fun just exploring this world. It, It feels exactly like what I want. Which is why it was my most shit, most my shit game. Nice. Mm-hmm. I have two. Mm-hmm. Inside of me, there are two wolves, <laughs> and one is depressed and uh, obsessed with death and the callousness of the universe. And the game that calls the most to that side of me is the Banished Vault, which is a game about like religious pilgrims from a sort of theocratic space civilization outrunning uh the concept of entropy it's also a game that is like played as if it were a board game it's made to look like very tactile and it's very uh opaque it's it's hard to parse what's going on at any given time you need to read a strategy like a a guidebook that comes with the game to even understand how to play it at all and even that it's just like very brutal and will if you make one mistake it can absolutely fuck up your entire time uh and there's something that just really appeals to me about that uh and then the other side of me just wants to have a nice time and listen to good music and have cute little characters make jokes at each other and that side of me is very satisfied by Cobalt Core. I have like a love-hate relationship, I think, with deck builders. I like a lot of them and I bounce the fuck off a lot of them. But this is one that like gets it right. It has lots of interesting ideas. And it's just like another one of those games that just like feels good to play. There's just it's just like a very positive tone to it. Yeah, I just really love it. I think it's great. And it's like up my alley in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So our next category, I think we're still workshopping the name. It's uh, loosely the the best game we had to stop playing. It's a game that we really loved at first. And then the more we played it, the more we started to hate it. And for me, that is Honkai Star Rail, which we talked about toward the beginning of this year, uh, which is a huge surprise for both of us, how Mm -hmm. much we loved it. Really sharp writing, really great characters, you know, fun turn-based combat. All of that stuff is still true, but at its heart, it's also a gotcha game. And so with every update and like every batch of new characters, it's trying to force you to spend more and more time grinding to the point where like now if I get a new character in that game that I'm excited about, all it's giving me is more work. Like I will never be able to raise all of the characters that I like up to a level to make them playable. So I've mostly dropped off of it. I kind of log in like a you know, once a week or so to like collect things, but I mostly can't play this game anymore. Like I would really love to, but I just, it's become impossible. So yeah, for me, it's Honkai Star Rail. Yeah, I think that's fair to say for me too. Like I am 
I think I'm more still like invested a little bit. Like I, I do like going back into that game and I feel like I'm going to say to myself, I'm going to commit to going back, especially when the 2.0 yeah. update comes out and there's a new planet. But like, you're so right. It's you, it's the game is like, there's such a friction to that game that makes it difficult to play how I want to play it. Cause I do just want to experience these cool stories with these characters, but you just have to get through all the other gotcha crap. Which, yeah, I mean, I'll probably go back to when there's a new planet. Like, hopefully I'll be able to be at a level to even play it. Who mm-hmm. knows? But yeah, it just has like made itself impossible for me to play. So the next category is worst game. Mm-hmm. Which So I think we know what the worst game of the year is. I think we should give... <sighs> Well, it's it's hard because you also reviewed that game. Hogwarts Legacy? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but that's not even my pick. <laughs> okay, cool. I was going to say, I think we should both have a different pick. I just didn't even consider that game because I was like, it's, we know. It's on such a different level of trash. It's not just a bad game. It's a game that is like, should not exist. Yeah. It makes the, the world actively worse to exist. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's too too bad to even be included in this category. Mm. So it's just like, yeah, the game that you played and just like had a shitty time with. So my pick is just like, I'm really back on my bullshit and I'm being very petty and beating this drum. (laughs) The worst game I played this year is Stray Gods, the role-playing musical. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I just fucking hate this game. I think this game is horrible. (laughs) Your nominee for the the most Willa shit game could be the game of hating Stray Gods. You're so right. Because Stray Gods should have been the most of my shit game. It's just, it's a shit game. (laughs) And I will not apologize for being mean to this game. Yeah, it seemed pretty bad. For me, the worst game I played this year was Samba de Amigo. Um, (laughs) Do you ever have like, huh? Your review of this game. Do you ever have a game that you you think is so bad that you kind of are fond of it? I don't think so. <laughs> like I I dislike this game so much that that my dislike of it is actually enjoyable. Like it's it's fun for me to hate this game. Straight gods. Um is kind of what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess maybe it is the same. This is also like when I started freelancing back for Inverse. This is the first review that I wrote, um, which just kind of was like something that needed to be written up. And Jen was like, hey, can you do this? Uh, And so I did it. And there's like a multiplayer component. I like invited my friends over and I was like, hey, let's play this game because like I have to review it. And it seems like it could be fun. And we played for like 15 minutes and she was like, can we stop? (laughs) This is so bad. Yeah, I wrote a review of this game that I is like I had so much fun I'm often kind of annoyed by reviews that are just hit pieces. I don't think there's like a lot of nutrition to them sometimes. Just like say it's you just hate dunking. every review I write. No, no, because <laughs> you like point interesting things out. This is one of those reviews where I was just like, I hate this game. I'm just going to like enjoy dunking on it. And I had a great time hating this game. Uh, so yeah, for me, Somebody Amigo, just a, a great game to hate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so next up, uh, the the second to last award. Yeah, before um, we get to game of the year, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, I don't know what you mean. This is a totally normal category. <laughs> we don't have any pre-existing 
uh, notions about at uh. all. It's just, you know, the best expansion to our favorite game of last year. I know we don't really have a standard category. We don't really have a funny name for this category, which we wanted to come up with, but yeah, this is best DLC expansion and it goes to citizen sleeper episode purge. Yes. Which is to say we, we would feel weird about giving citizen sleeper purge game of the year. What we're saying is we've discussed this for months about how citizen sleeper episode purge is the best thing we played this year. <laughs> Un- there's Unequivocally. No like, it's absolutely the best game we've played it's this year. It's so fucking good. But we felt weird about giving it game of the year again. <laughs> uh-huh. So we um, felt like we yeah. had to give it a category so that we didn't give it game of the year. <laughs> exactly. We had to give it the category of best game of the year that we're not calling game of the year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's Citizen Sleeper Purge. This game continues to fucking rule. It's astounding how fucking incredible this is. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've we recorded an episode about this. I don't know if we need to if, mm-hmm. how much we need to say about it, but it's yeah, as as the sort of the capstone to a, a really incredible story, it's just like unbeatable. Yeah. Okay, which means we are at our last category, which will also mm-hmm. be our most contentious because we're actually going to have to pick one and talk about I don't know if it. it's going to be that contentious. Like the thing is, yeah, this is the only category that we have to agree we on. We have to have consensus. But I feel like I just don't, I don't have a game like if it hadn't been for Citizen Sleeper last year, this would have been so contentious because you did not like my what I would have picked for game of the year. Mm-hmm. So we would have had to fight about it. No, we wouldn't this because year, you like, loved Signalis and it would have gone to Signalis. <laughs> I guess my point is I don't have any game that I'm like, it has to be this. I'm like, there's plenty of good games this year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it can okay. be any of those. So yeah, we need it. So let's get into our game of the year discussion. Mm-hmm. I have three options for you. Okay. And the first one is going to go right, like right off the bat is going to be kicked out. And I know that, but I just want to bring it up. I do think Alan Wake 2 should have been in discussion for Game of the Year. And I know it won't just because you have not spent like any time with it. Yeah. But I think it would have been deserving of consideration. And I'm sad that you didn't play it. Yeah, me too. The other two is I think Armored Core is going to be in discussion. Mm -hmm. And then I think there is a very good argument to be made for the making of Karateka. Yeah. Do you have any other things that you want to bring up? Not really. I mean, to be honest, the games that I enjoyed the most this year, Slay the Princess and Jusant, probably. But we talked about Slay the Princess last time. You haven't played Jusant. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be either of those. And yeah, I don't know. Like, I think those are good picks. I was, I was, when I was thinking about it, what I... Like earlier today, I was like, we're probably going to land on the making of Karateka, <laughs> like was kind of my thought because I, I had the similar thoughts. I was like, as far as games that we have both played and enjoyed. Armored Core, Baldur's Gate, Karateka, Life After Magic, but I think none of we're not. I think we like that game, but we don't. I don't think either of us like it more than other visual novels we played. Right. Like, I think you like Slay the Princess more. And liked it a lot, but it's also not there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I'm surprised. Yeah. 
I feel like we should have given Life After Magic some kind of award for being good. There's some there's some very romanceable NPCs in there. There are. Um, for sure. It's a very queer game. Mm-hmm. The Life After Magic award for just being a good game goes for, to Life hey, After go Magic. go play that game. <laughs> yeah. The game hey, that go we play this game award. The game that we didn't give an award to, but you should still play it award. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, I should make like a trophy for that. <laughs> Yeah, so so game of the yeah, I think it's worth discussing. Like for me, the game that I enjoyed the most of these is absolutely Armored Core. Like as mm-hmm. I've talked about every time we've brought it up, like it just it, it feels incredible. It is one of the, if not the best action game I've ever played. It, and it, it feels is, like it's the uh, thing that people get out of AAA games, like people for whom they work. It, I feel like I finally have that feeling that yeah. people talk about in that way and i've just never had a game that gave me that before and i cannot overstate again for me how much i think also it's so worth recognizing this game's multiplayer yes yes it's great it's like it's wild to me that it hasn't gotten more attention for having incredible multiplayer because from software has always like kind of dropped the ball on multiplayer when they've tried to implement it like mm-hmm. very much so with elden ring most recently and they pull it off so fucking perfectly in this game it is insane how good multiplayer in this game is and just how good every combat encounter in this game is yeah and it's yeah i think yeah every combat encounter Mm -hmm. feels incredible i don't know there's just a lot of things going on interestingly with the world and like your scale and how your scale relates to the world but also just like the layer of mech customization Mm -hmm. it can often be really annoying to deal with equipment in games where you're like, oh God, this sword gives me plus seven crit, but this one gives me plus 10 attack. Which one's better? These are like real material differences you're making, not just in, I mean, one thing you have to consider is like what you're going to be facing in the, the next mission. So like tuning your build, not just to be the best, but to be what's right for this situation. But it also changes the way you play. Like there are so few choices that are just like, gun a but more powerful they operate differently they shoot you know you can choose to have like a napalm launcher or a gun that like doesn't do any damage but does like can stun them or do you want to do melee or do ranged or you know some guns that you can only use if you turn yourself into a tank these are like really interesting decisions that it's a layer of games that i almost never enjoy that much which has become like a game unto itself yeah god i mean just some of these fucking boss fights too are just like absolute top tier not even brain off but mm-hmm. like it, it's like that kind of instinctual level of glee you get when you play it it's there's something about like how it really feels like it encapsulates the like true vibes of any kind of mech genre where it's like you have to be so strategic in this game but it's so fast paced that there gets to be a point where it is almost just instinct. And it's so wild. Like being a pilot of the Armored Corps is so fucking incredible. And like to what you're saying, this game's sense of scale is also like one of the most unparalleled things I've ever seen. Like it reminds mm-hmm. me in some ways of moments in Shadow of the Colossus, which Shadow of the totally. Colossus is the like one of the only other games that I truly think makes you feel small. In Armored Corps, you feel equally big because there are moments where you realize that the things you're walking over are like tiny streets or buildings but then equally uh-huh. you are still small when you 
face these giant things like that giant fucking machine that walks through the desert or mm-hmm. the boss fight with the with the worm which is so the stunning worm. one yeah. of the best set pieces i think like in any game it's unbelievable also just like outside of how this game feels i think it deserves credit for having some of the best characterizations in a game this year through just voice alone mm-hmm and like they could have, if they wanted to, made characters that you could see, but they were like, fuck that. It's just the voice. And those, the voice actors in this game are so good. Totally. Yeah. Another like ensemble cast that like they all kill it. Like there's not a bad performance in this game. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, I think that sense of speed is like hard to overstate. Games where you have like with like Twitch reflexes, like that's often what keeps me out of like shooters and things like that. It's part of why I didn't like Bloodborne as much. Like it, it required this like aggression that I felt like it, it required aggression, but also punished it really hard. And I think Armored Core actually gives you the tools you need to act that quickly, successfully in a way that I just couldn't get behind with Bloodborne. This one, I feel like I'm able to like use the equipment that I have to like meet this like incredible challenge. It's a it's a kind of play that I don't generally enjoy that became the most enjoyable game I played this year. I very rarely click with a game purely on mechanics. Yeah. Um, and like while there is a story here, I'm also not as hot on this game's like overarching narrative as a lot of other people are. I think there's some merit, but in a lot of ways I'm like, yeah, I get it. I understand. I've seen this before. And I usually am someone who values narrative very highly. But this game I connected with on a mechanical level so much that I was just like, mm-hmm. I cannot put this down. It's so good. And I just, I admire it so much for what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then also. But then also, yeah. The making of Karateka is something that we have never seen before. Mm-hmm. And it is an astounding, like success in so many ways and i think what makes it so special for me is like not only what it means as a piece of software as a game but what it means for like what the game what games can be as a medium and how it reckons with the past of games and like it deals with so many things like preservation and archiving and preserving history through and it's not like there are so many pieces of like video game document documentary or archival that are so important, like the Video Game History Foundation or, you know, the documentary work of places like Noclip or something like that. But the making of Karateka does preservation and history and documentary within the medium of game. And it's so special and it's so unique. And I think there's nothing like it. And I think it's like when I think out of a game that I think stands as like the pinnacle of what more things should be looking to and like really says like games can be more like it's it's the making of karateka yeah it's yeah i mean like in a medium that has no memory to have something that like not only preserves a a a part of the medium's history but does it within the medium is I, i think it's yeah i mean it's brilliant like this would be it would be great if it were a documentary, you know, if this were just like watching Psych Odyssey on YouTube in 37 mm-hmm. parts, it would already be interesting. But the fact that, yeah, it's turned into a playable piece of software is, 
I don't know. It's like, it seems like such a simple thing that it's almost like surprising. Uh, it's not surprising that we don't have more of it because of the way that like the medium approaches its history, but it, the, I guess it kind of like shines a light on how much more of that is needed. You know, there's not like, there's not like a technical barrier to making this thing. And like, this is the only time this game could have been made. We could have had a lot of these games. It's just that no one like cared to do so or like had the idea or like, you know, the access is also important there too. It's an example of something that is sort of like has been uh, something that had been missing. It's been so obviously missing for so long, but it took this game coming out for people to see what what that thing was that was missing. Mm -hmm. And like what makes it so special to me is about the interactivity and it like uses the interactivity of games to show such a good point, which is there are moments where it'll give you a build of Karateka and it'll be like, here's how it was at this point. Try it. And it set and it like asks you to see why this build is bad or flawed. And then you realize to make this game better, you need to change this part of it. And then the next thing you do is you like see them, you see documents that like talk about them going through that same discussion or documentary pieces where they talk to developers and they're like, you know, we were at this point and we played it and we were like, this is not clicking. We need to change something. But it preserves the build throughout every moment of this so you can see how iteration is so vital to the process. And like something that I think has been being talked about really recently in the wake of the Insomniac hack is part of it that people have been discussing is there's no, people don't understand how games are made mm -hmm. and they don't see the like process of making a game, which is very important. I think that people should know more about and the making of Karateka shows you in like an unprecedented yeah. way. Yeah, I like that's really important. It's like giving people a look at what it is like to make a game. What is what is a game like to play before it's finished? And kind of what are the choices that need to be made to make it something worth playing? But I think it's also like when we talk about preservation, we often think about it in terms of like lost games, you know, these games that were released and now there's no way to play them and they've slipped out of public consciousness and like they had an impact on people. This kind of shows another side of preservation in that way where the the work is also being preserved. Like not not the work in the sense of the finished work, but the the labor that has been gone into making games is being preserved in a way that we often don't see. Um it's, you know, the the in games industry is like such a black box for not wanting people to see what it takes to make a game and like what a game looks like before it's finished. And I think preserving those things is as important, if not more important than preserving the games themselves. And that is something that like, I think we really haven't gotten before. Yeah. It's, I mean, I know it's like you said, like with no clip and things like that, there've been documentaries that show that process, but it's a very different thing to experience it for yourself. Okay. So it's decision time. I am leaning towards Karateka. <laughs> I am too. I mean, there's two different versions of this. Is we go with a game that we think is a mechanical marvel being Armored Core, or we go with a game that we feel like is important for the medium. They're both very great in their own yeah. ways. And it's just like, what do we want to choose for that? 
for me, it's like Armored Core is the pinnacle of the action genre. Mm-hmm. I I feel pretty secure saying it's the best action game. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite action game. Like it feels the best to play. Karateka, making of Karateka is like the start of a new medium. It feels like it is a medium unto itself. And just, I don't know, the way that I am and that you are, I think our inclination is to go for the thing that is weird and new and more challenging. But yeah, I think what it what it says about the history of games and the sort of possible path toward a a more open and honest version of game development if more games could be preserved like this if people could get more interested in the labor that goes into them i think that's a good thing for the medium um and that's why i would also lean more toward karateka okay well that means uh at the second annual girlies, the 2023 girl mode game of the year is the making of Karateka. Wow. Congratulations. Congrats. We'll have to make, we'll pull out our best graphic design is our passion skills <laughs> to, to create the award again this year. Yeah. I don't know. I think it is a really, a really massive achievement uh, and something that like, I really hope people do if, if not like recreate it formally, uh, kind of take to heart the idea that showing the process of game development is something that can be interesting for its own ends yeah. and not just as like a you know kind of special feature add-on to a game that people already like yeah i'm very i'm feel very good about this choice so that brings us to the end yeah uh of the official awards yeah the official awards we had one more category which is you know usually at the end of every episode we do a like what have we been up to this week kind of thing but this is our last episode of the year it's going to be the last episode of 2023 and so the category that i made up for the isn't that true Yes, it yeah. is. Okay. Um, I just don't know how numbers work, so I had to look at the calendar to be sure. Yeah. So it's going to be our last episode of 2023, and the category I made for the girlies was also the best non-video game thing of the year, um, just so we could talk about some stuff we loved that we did this year that weren't video games. And I thought in lieu of doing like thing that we did this week, we would yeah. do this and kind of just look back at a bunch of stuff that we really loved from this year. Totally. Um, I can start. I have... I have a handful of things that I wanted to shout out. The first things that I wanted to talk about were movies. Cool. I had two movies that I really wanted to shout out, which were, and they're very recent, but I think they hold up, which is Godzilla Minus One, which I talked about, and The Boy and the Heron, Mm -hmm. um, which I think are so both so incredible. Um, The Boy and the Heron, especially, I have my letterboxed list of like all the movies I've seen this year, and I've really been thinking about it. I think The Boy and the Heron is my favorite movie of the year. It's just so special, and it's like so unique. Seeing Miyazaki like wrestle with kind of his legacy in a way that he, in a way that he's never done before. Like we know he's making another movie, but this very much feels like his kind of like final message almost it's a, mm-hmm. it's an astounding achievement um and i really love yeah. it and godzilla minus one for all the reasons i said i think like last week yeah yeah i still want to see both of those uh if we're talking about movies i i can just say i the only movie the first and only movie that i have gone to since the start of the pandemic is stop making sense the talking heads concert film 
uh, which was just like such a delight to see in theaters. Like it's a great movie and, and, you know, in its own right, but seeing it in a theater full of people, just like you could just feel like the kind of joy people were experiencing as this concert builds from one person on the stage to this massive set with like half a dozen people up there, like just really jamming out. And yeah, it it was just a really lovely, like communal feeling experience. Mm -hmm. It's like the closest I felt to like being at a concert by watching a concert film. Uh, And I really loved it for that. Kind of sticking to screen the next things I wanted to shout out were some TV that I really loved. Really, it's just anime. Um, Mm -hmm. I haven't been loving a lot of TV lately, uh, but the thing that has been most consistent are some anime. Uh, I want to shout out The Witch from Mercury, which finished up this year. I love it so much. Um, And then the other one is Freerin Beyond Journey's End, which I think is incredible. Like as a piece of media, it's I think it's one of the most impactful things I experienced like this year. It's so special and it's so well made. It's beautiful. Um, I think everybody should watch it. Yeah. I mean, on that same note, I when you play a lot of video games and talk to people who play video games, they also always want to talk about anime. It's like a very correspondent thing. I haven't really watched anime since I was a teenager and I would watch it on like Adult Swim. That was my last exposure to it. But I ended up getting like a free trial to Crunchyroll. Uh, And so I've come to you for a lot of suggestions. Actually, I think that the thing that really kicked it off was G-Witch. I saw a lot of people talking about how good Gundam, uh, you know, Witch from Mercury was. And like this relationship between Miorne and Soleta in particular was great. And I watched it and I loved it. It's a really, really special show just on basically every level. Um, and some of the things that I've watched since then on Crunchyroll, I think the first thing I watched was ended up being my favorite thing. And it's like my favorite anime is Sakura Quest. Hell yeah. It's so good. It's just a show about a girl moving from Tokyo out to the country and like working as basically like a tourism marketing department with a bunch of other cool ladies. It's just like very heartwarming slice of life kind of stuff. Uh, On the same note, New Game, which I watched. The first season is really kind of the same thing. Very heartwarming show about a bunch of ladies working together, but this time on a game. I watched Licorice Recoil, which I pointed out last week, which is uh, fantastic. And uh, eventually I will watch Bochi the Rock and Freerun, which you told me to do. I don't believe um, you. I think you're nice, gonna like, watch... exploring that world. You're never going to watch Bochi the Rock. I will. I'm going to watch it, them. Both of them. One day. Other thing I wanted to shout out is something that I read, which is Chainsaw Man is consistently, I think, one of the best things being made right now. And it's just astounding to me how good it is for like people who do read Chainsaw Man or, or uh, for people who don't. The way Chainsaw Man has like kind of worked is... There was the first huge arc, which was like nearly a hundred issues, and it was like really great. It's what people loved. Um, it's what the anime has been adapting so far. And then it went on hiatus, and then it came back with like its second major arc, and it started without the main character, and it mm. introduced this completely new character, um, Asa Mitaka, who is this woman. She's incredible, and it's astounding to me how Chainsaw Man was one of the best things I like was I had been reading when it was coming out. And then they went to do this new arc and it was like, how are they going to continue this? And if anything, I think it's only been better, which is like insane. And just like 
every time a new chapter comes out. It's a, it's so good. It's, I love it so much. And like, it's so weird, but incredibly touching and emotional. It's like, there's no way to really explain it besides just saying that you, sh- you need to trust that it's so good. Yeah, nice. Um, for me, I think the best things I read this year are, I've mentioned both of these on the show, so I won't go into much detail, but uh, Before We Were Trans by Kit Hayam, which is sort of a history of gender nonconformity before this, the trans community existed as such. And uh, The Video Game Industry Does Not Exist by Brandon Keough, which is a sort of academic look at the games industry and what makes it very hard to define as a single entity because there are so many different little little bits of it. Mm-hmm. Then I think lastly, I want to shout out uh, what I think might be my favorite album that came out this year, which was Bewitched by the artist Loive. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. I always mispronounce it. It's She's Icelandic. She's really great. I love her. I've loved her for a few years now. Um, she just does like this really beautiful kind of jazz music. And it's her latest album. And it's really good. And I loved it. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to just point out three albums that I liked a lot this year. Uh, I think I've mentioned at least two of them before. Uh, they are Make Me Cry by Astra King. Uh, Maybe You'll Find Me by They Devil and Never Falter Hero Girl by Katie Day. Katie Day is an artist I've loved for a long time and I was very excited for the new album to come out. Uh, They Devil and Astra King are are both artists that I discovered this year and and love their albums as well. So yeah, just shout those out. I was very happy to discover all of those. Do you have anything else? Just to shout out, I mean, like these are not recommendations as much as just things I've appreciated this year. One was getting to come back and keep (laughs) doing my job, which was really nice. Uh, If you've been listening to us from the beginning, uh, it's been a rough time for your girl. And uh, the last couple months, it's been really lovely to be back at work with my good friend, Willa Rowe. And, um, you know, our new editor at Inverse, Shannon Liao, has been really pushing us to do a lot more reporting, which is something that I have not like, I've kind of let those skills, uh, I don't know, decay a little bit it's been really cool to get back into i mentioned last year i mentioned or no it was when i came back i mentioned uh wanting to do more interviews and i've gotten to do so many lately can't even keep up with them um but yeah i'm glad to be back at work uh i'm also very glad that in the interim uh we got to continue doing the show it was absolutely you know life sustaining for me and the other thing I want to just mention very quickly that's been a super positive thing in my life lately is adopting these two cats that I have now. <laughs> I've wanted to get pets for so long. I've never had like my own pets as an adult. I was like so worried when I first got them because they were like uh, like feral cats. They just hid from me for several days. And I was like, oh, are they ever going to like me? And now they just spend all day like circling me and meowing. And I just look at them all the time and almost start crying at just their very existence. So yeah, it's just been a really a good thing to just have these little critters around my house that I can just love. Yeah. Well, uh, I think with that, that's going to mark the end of the second annual girlies and 2023 for girl mode. Um, you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find us on socials. Uh, we'll link 
our stuff in the show notes, but it's probably some version of Girl Mode Pod. Uh, you can email us questions or comments, concerns, or whatever, complaints. Uh, life advice. <laughs> life advice to girlmodepod at gmail.com or on co-host, or you can like ask us questions on Spotify, I think. Yeah, we can make Q&As. I, I don't know how it really works. Uh, don't don't worry about the Spotify. Do the, do the yeah. email. <laughs> um, you can find me on socials at the Willow Row. And you can find me at Robin Bombos. And as this is the last episode of the year, just want to say again, thanks so much for listening, being a part of this weird little show. And it's it's just been very touching, I know, for both of us mm-hmm. to have people listen at all. And and the fact that people are like reaching out and saying how much they appreciate some of the stuff we've done yeah. has been, yeah, just really, really lovely. So thank you. Uh, we hope everybody has a good rest of the year. Happy holidays and a happy new year. Uh, we'll happy see you in 2024. Yay. I could have danced all night, I could have danced all night, and still have asked for more. I could have spread my wings and done a thousand things I've never done before. Never know. I'm gonna need to ask you to cease and desist. (laughs) 